Good morning, church. It's so good to have you all here this morning. We're so glad that you're here. Um, it is kind of seeming to be kind of a, a season in which everyone's kind of getting the cold a little bit. So uh, we just are so thankful for uh, you all being healthy, for you all uh, making the trip uh, to church uh, in the morning in the cold, and so we're so appreciative of that. If you're watching online this morning, we would just want to say and extend a special welcome to you as well, um, and so we're so glad that you're watching with us. Please don't hesitate to comment. Let us know where you're watching from, who you are, um, and reach out to our online hosts. We have an, a button there available for you to communicate with our online hosts. Uh, they can pray with you, answer questions, um, and anything that you may need. This morning, we're going to go into a time of worship, so I'd just like to ask you all to stand um, and sing with us this morning.
magnifies the Lord my soul. Magnifies the Lord. Cause he has done great things to me. Verses 46 through 49 say, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name.
Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness, you have filled me with peace. Giver mercy, you're my help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing. Together, I will rest. So I will rest in your promises and my confidence is your faithfulness. So I will rest. So I will in your promises, my confidence.
are so glad that you are with us today. Today is the second Sunday of Advent, and we have lit the second candle, the Bethlehem candle, in remembrance of a, a seemingly significant little town called Bethlehem, uh, from which our Savior would be born. Listen now to the word of the Lord spoken to uh, the prophet Micah in chapter 5. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. But from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, who is coming forth from old, from the ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. The rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the very ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given in love. You know, the prophet Micah talked about peace that would be in ours. And we do have that peace because of who we are in Christ. He is our Lord. He is our yes. And his promises are faithful and true. And we can celebrate that. But we also know that this is a fallen and broken world. And there are trials and tribulations that we must face as well. And so we need to pray for and encourage one another. Today is the... Uh, second Sunday of the month, and we're going to be celebrating with the upfront prayer. And so I'd like to invite any members of our prayer team, our elders, or small group leaders to come to the front now. And uh, if we can pray for you as we move through this service, I would love the opportunity to do that. And so our prayer team is going to come forward. We want to invite you to come forward to celebrate with you the great things that God is doing, and then also to pray for peace that surpasses all understanding. And so you can just make your way up to the front towards this next song, and then Kyle's going to close us in just a few moments. This morning, if, uh, if you don't need prayer and you just want to worship with us, please feel free to stand and join us in singing this morning. Oh 
sing with us. Oh, what a Savior. No, what I say, if you're isn't he wonderful? And sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. So bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen, is risen. Bear your cross. Bear your cross as you wait for the wrong. Tell the world of the treasures you found. Because Jesus is calling. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for just waiting at our door. Knocking waiting for us to just answer, open up, accept you, accept the love, God, the royalty that you've given us through the death of your son, paying our ransom, and being called a child of God. We thank you for that truth this morning. In return, God, all we, all we have to give is just our praise. Because all the glory and honor go to you for what you've done for us. We thank you this morning. We continue just to praise your name, God, through your message, through all things that we do. We pray all these things in your name.
Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We are so glad that you are with us today. If you're watching with us online, we're glad you're uh, here as well. Uh, Our online hosts are available uh, to pray uh, with you, so you can click that prayer request uh, button that's on your screen. They'd love the opportunity to pray with you or answer any questions. And if there's a prayer request that you'd like to share with us, maybe you didn't get a chance to come to the front, you've got a connection card on your seat, and so you can write that uh, prayer request down, and our prayer team will pray for you. Um, sometime during the week next week we love the opportunity to pray for you and uh, so there's a place for you to drop those in the box on the way uh, out this morning but you've got that connection card and uh, if you're a first or second time guest with us this morning uh, you can share with us as much information as you feel comfortable sharing and uh, you can fill that out as I mentioned uh, drop it in the box and then if you're here you can also scan that QR code you can just text here to let us know that you were uh, with us today we'd love the opportunity to celebrate that with you So, funny story. Ten minutes before I come out here, my chest tightens up. So, I am really having to push a little bit hard. So, <laughs> so pray for me. But, um, hey, we are so glad that you are with us today. We, uh, we kicked off our year-end offering uh, last week. And uh, we are already uh, 22% of the way towards our goal. And so, we're, hey, that's a praise. So, I want to thank you for those of you that have been able to jump in. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> because of God's provision that we've been able to effectively reach our community for Christ, make disciples, and, are, and uh, just be witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And so uh, we have a $25,000 goal this year, and there's more information on our website. Uh, but we have an opportunity to partner with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We're going to be getting into the local high schools. Um, we have an opportunity to support a new um, Arabic church uh, that's going to be starting up in Michigan. Uh, we have an opportunity to support Tim Nash, who is one of our missionaries uh, in Mexico. We're putting him back in our budget. And then we've got uh, some opportunities uh, with Converge Worldwide planting churches globally, as well as we're going to be uh, setting aside some funding for a church-wide mission trip um, to Guatemala next year. And so if you have any questions about our year-end offering, I would love the opportunity to answer any questions that you might have. Our elder board last week also approved um, some repairs to our building, and so next year we're going to be looking at uh, painting and repairing our building, so that'll be exciting. We'll be putting together a team uh, for that. But if you've got any questions, uh, please let us know. And then, guys, our men's power-up men's gathering is going to be meeting uh, uh, tomorrow uh, right here at Springbrook at 645. They'll be gathering together, and then they've got some snacks, some refreshments, and then they'll be uh, kicking off their study at 7. And then um, our registration just went live for our Men's No Regrets Conference. That's going to be coming up in uh, February. And so, guys, uh, if you are interested in that, it's a great opportunity to invite your friends, family members, uh, neighbors uh, to come to a No Regrets Conference. It's going to be uh, from 8 o'clock to uh, 2 o'clock here at Springbrook. And so if you uh, are interested in that, it's a great Christmas gift, gals, for your husband if you want to send them to No Regrets. And then we have a Women's Aspire Conference that's going to be coming up in March for the ladies. And so we'll have some more information for you about that. Um, later. 
Well, today we are continuing our series, and we've been looking at the I am statements of Jesus. There are seven of those in the uh, book of John, and with each of these statements, um, Jesus is making various declarations about himself. There are seven I am statements. We've looked at the uh, fact that Jesus is the bread of life, he is the light of the world, and that today we're going to be looking at the fact that he is the door of the sheep and he is the good shepherd. Each one of these I am statements is combined with an incredible metaphor that reflects his saving relationship with his creation and with each of us in, in the world. And so each of these is a, a metaphor describing how we can relate to Jesus as the great I am. Today we're looking at that third and fourth metaphor and uh, we're going to be in the book of John. And so before we get to the uh, book of John, we're going to be in chapter 10 this morning. Uh, it's important to know that as you look at chapter 10, that there is no division between chapter 9 and chapter 10. So we've got these chapters and verses in the Bible that are convenient for us um, to help us to be able to talk with one another and share verses and memorize scripture and all those great things. Uh, but when the original author wrote this, it was a there's a continuity as you move from chapter 9 to chapter 10. There's no break there. Jesus in chapter 9 had just healed a uh, blind man at the beginning of uh, chapter 9 and verse 6. Uh, it says that uh, his neighbors brought him to the Pharisees. Jesus had spit on the ground. He had made mud with his saliva. And he had anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go in to wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. So he went and he washed his eyes and he came back seeing. Now this created a stir in his neighborhood. And so his neighbors brought him to the Pharisees in verse 13, the man who had formerly been blind. It was a Sabbath day when Jesus put the mud on his eyes and enabled him to be able to see. And so Jesus was performing work on a Sabbath day, which is something that the Jews were not supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be doing no work on the Sabbath. And so the neighbors brought him to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, for all practical purposes, put him on trial to understand what had happened. In verse 28, they reviled him. They, they reviled him. They, they put him down. They were being abusive to him. And they said... You are a disciple of his, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man who was blind said, well, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God does listen to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man that was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, well, you were born in utter sin. You have nothing to teach us. And they cast him out. And so they threw him out, you know, because of the work that Christ had done in this man's life. He was reviled, he was cast out. And then they go to look for Jesus. You know, what's interesting about this is that for many people, Jesus is good news. For many people, Jesus is good news because he has opened their eyes. 
the blind have seen. He has given them eternal life. But for most people, Jesus is bad news. He's bad news because they have rejected his gift of sight. They've rejected his life-saving, life-transforming power, and they're going to face eternal judgment. And that's a problem that we don't just face today. It's a problem that we have faced. It has been an issue since the day that the little baby was born in the manger. This is not a new problem. It's an age-old problem. In fact, in 1 Peter 2, 6 and 8, it says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone that was chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. So the honor is for those who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so there are those that will believe in Jesus and they will not be put to shame. And then there are those that will not believe in Jesus and they will stumble and they have the final judgment to face. And so that's it's bad news for those that have rejected who Jesus is. In chapter 9, in verse 16, it says that there was a, a division among the Pharisees as to what had happened with the blind man. And so this division among the Pharisees is what connects us to chapter 10. The division among the Pharisees is where we see chapter 10 picking up as Jesus speaks directly to those that are in the midst of this conversation. The Pharisees, the religious leaders in Israel at that time, should have been faithful shepherds over God's flock. But they were not. They had failed in their role as shepherds. And that's what we saw happened with the blind man. They got frustrated with his testimony about Jesus. And they threw him out of the temple. In verse 35, Jesus finds the man. He finds the man that they cast out, and he asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he that is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. The Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, well, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And it's at that point that he turns to them and says this beginning in verse 1 of chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought them out all on his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so these Pharisees, not one time did they rejoice over the blind man whose eyes were opened. 
Instead, they were concerned that Jesus had violated these legalistic rules that they had about healing and doing miracles and serving and working on the Sabbath. And in chapter 10, Jesus confronts them. And so he moves right from this conversation about healing the blind man to helping them to understand the role of what a good shepherd should be. You're not doing it. I'm trying to explain to you what a shepherd's role is and what you should be doing. And there's a few things that you need to know as we move into chapter 10. The first thing that we need to know is that you and I are the sheep. (laughs) We're sheep. All like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone. Nobody is exempt. We have all turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, speaking of Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And so you are a sheep. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how tall you are. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what your station is in life. It does not matter about how you define yourself or how you identify. The Bible says that we are all sheep. And that's important to know because sheep need somebody to shepherd them. And the good news about this, because not everybody gets excited about being a sheep. The good news is, is that sheep are not the dumbest animal. I mean, they're stupid, but they are not the, the dumbest animal. The top 10 list has got, it's got an ostrich, a sloth, a koala, a panda, but sheep are not in the top ring of stupid animals. And so we should feel good about ourselves. It's okay to be a sheep. <laughs> But you know what sheep are? They are directionless. They have no sense of where they are or where they're going. I saw a video last week of a a guy that had pulled a sheep out of a ditch and he had run out of the ship and he was stuck and the guy pulls him out and and the sheep runs around, does a circle and that's right back into the ditch. Sheep are directionless. They have no sense of spatial awareness. They're directionless. And you you know what else they are? They're they're easily spooked. They're easily spooked. Have you ever come up on a sheep? I mean, they're, they're constantly looking around. They're, they're easily spooked. They're directionless, and they are extremely needy. They can't defend themselves. They don't have teeth. You know, it's not like even a goat where they're going to butt you. A sheep is extremely needy. It cannot survive on its own. And so the first thing that we need to know as we move into chapter 10 and we start looking at Jesus being, you know, the good shepherd and Jesus being the door is that when he talks about sheep, he is talking about you and he's talking about me. We are the sheep. The second thing that's important to understand is what a sheepfold is. A sheepfold in this time period was an enclosure that was out in the field, was guarded by the shepherd. And, it, and, and he would sleep in front of it. And so, you know, the, the shepherd would have this little enclosure and, and he'd put the sheep in there and it would keep them from wandering off and it would also protect them. And then the shepherd would lay in front of that sheep fold to protect the sheep. It kept the sheep from getting out, kept people from getting in, but the, the shepherd would stand right in front of that, right in front of that sheep fold to protect the sheep. And so there was sheep folds that you might find out in the field. But there was also a sheepfold that you could find in the city. 
And so as you got closer to larger populations, as the shepherds would bring their flocks in, they would go to a, a public sheepfold, and they would bring their sheep, and they'd put them into this sheepfold, and they would leave them guarded by a watchman who was paid to watch many flocks. And so some sheepfolds are just from a shepherd, and then some sheepfolds you'll find in the city where you, you've got a bunch of different flocks in there, Different shepherds are the ones that are watching over them. And so you see these different types of sheepfolds. And so, so we are the sheep. And that's important to understand because we're, we need to understand what Jesus is talking about when he talks about our need for a shepherd. He talks about our needs. And then we under, need to understand what a sheepfold is because we talk about God's protection and his provision. And the sheepfold is an, is an important you know, idea that he wants to convey to the Pharisees about what their role is and what they're supposed to be doing. And so as you move in through uh, verse 1 through 5, what you see is Jesus is drawing a, a sharp contrast between the Pharisees, which he calls false shepherds. He calls them false shepherds. He calls them thieves, and he calls them robbers. And he's contrasting those false shepherds, those Pharisees, with himself as the true shepherd of the sheep. You see, Jesus is the true shepherd. He is the true shepherd because it is he that is able to go through the door to get to the sheep. And so if you think about that sheepfold with all the sheep in it, not anybody could get in there to get the sheep. The watchman had the responsibility to make sure that, that nobody that was not able to get in there to get the sheep, well, he kept them all out. And so we know that Jesus was the, was the, was the true shepherd because he was able to go in to gather the sheep. We also know that Jesus was the, was the true shepherd because the, geek, the gatekeeper recognized him and let him in there. And so he was recognized as, as, a, as the true shepherd. And then we also know that he was a true shepherd because the sheep heard his voice and they followed him. They were committed to him. And so he was with the sheep, the sheep were with him. And so Jesus, in every sense of the word, is the true shepherd and he's contrasting himself with these false shepherds who are not shepherding the flock. In fact, they cast the poor blind guy out who was healed. And so he contrasts himself with the uh, Pharisees. Now, what's interesting is is when you get to verse 6, in my mind, as I'm reading through this, and we have the benefit of reading this today and understanding it with clarity, I would like to think that if I was somebody back then, if I was a shepherd back in that time, that when Jesus told this story that that the lights would go on and I would understand it, but they don't. In verse 6, it says this. The figures of speech that Jesus was using with them, they did not understand what he was saying. And so, you know, I would like to think, you know, that I would understand. I would like to think, you know, it's interesting to think about Jesus, how often he left his listeners in confusion. You know, from a communication perspective, if if half of you walked out here going, I have no idea what he said. <laughs> but this is Jesus. He is God. And, and when he spoke to people, they just, they didn't understand. And it's not that he was unclear, but that his listeners, his listeners were deaf and blind. Their hearts were hardened to what he had to say. And so Jesus says, look, I'm going to make this simple for you. And as you move into verse six, he says, I am the door. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All of those who came before me are thieves and robbers. You guys are all thieves and robbers. I am the door of the sheep. 
and the, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he's going to be saved, and he'll be able to go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came so they might have life, and they might have it abundantly. And so there it is. Jesus, the great I am, God in the flesh, uses a metaphor so that we can understand him and his role of being a door. He is the door for the sheep. We are the sheep, and, and he is the door. He is the door, and if anyone enters by him, he will be saved, and he'll be able to go in and out, and he'll be able to find pasture. Jesus you know, leads off with the words, truly, truly, just like he did in verse 1. And, and when he does that, he's not just saying, you know, this is true, you know, you can believe me, it's, it's amen, amen, or it's, it's this is true, and so it gets translated a variety of different ways. But what Jesus is saying with clarity and simply is that what I'm telling you is a fact. This is true because I said it was true. I'm not just aware. He's not just aware of what he's saying is true. What he's saying is simple, and it is clear, and it is true because he makes it true. It is a reality. It is a statement of fact. And Jesus says, I am the door. And as as the door, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will be able to go in and out and find pasture. And so Jesus is talking about our salvation. He's talking about the fullness of this life that we have in him. Jesus is making some claims about him that we must respond to if we're going to follow him and we're going to hear his voice and and live this abundant life that he's called us to live. In verses 1 through 3, the scene was a a common uh, sheepfold that was in the village. That sheepfold is where uh, different shepherds brought their sheep at night. Um, it had the hired watchman out front. And so in the beginning of chapter 10, he's making references to this public sheepfold about the fact that there's different shepherds and there's sheeps in this flock. And, and so he's making reference to the public sheepfold. But as you move into verse 7, he shifts from the different kind of sheepfold. It's not the one that the, the sheepfold, it's not the one that's in the city any longer. It's the one that's out in the field where the shepherd would make this sheep hold to, to put his sheep in out in the pasture. The shepherd would go out and he'd build this enclosure for the sheep and uh, so that they could go into it for protection. So when they went into it, they were safe. And then when he let them out, they could go out to pasture. And so he's making reference to that field sheephold that's where the sheep are able to go in and out and it's there that they find their security it's there that they find their salvation it's there that they're able to live out this full life that God has for them as sheep they can go in and out and they will find pasture that shepherd would build that enclosure so that they go go in for protection and they could come out to feed it was not one of those hired watchmen that was watching over these sheep, that shepherd would lay in front of that sheepfold and he would guard those sheep. He would protect those sheep. He keeps something from getting in there to get them. He protected them from, from the predators and for the thieves and he provided for them as he would let them out into the green pastures into which they had led, been led. 
And so the thief is going to come to get the sheep. The thief wants to steal. The thief wants to kill and destroy. But the shepherd's role was to protect and to provide so that the, so that the sheep might have life and have it abundantly. You know, he provides the sheep their salvation. And so Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door that's going to protect these sheep. I am the door that's going to provide salvation for these sheep. I am the door that is going to provide for these sheep. So Jesus says, I am the door. And he also says, I am the good shepherd. And as you move down into verse 11, he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. So he is a good shepherd that guides and protects the sheep. He is not the hired hand who's going to abandon them at the first sign of trouble. He's not like the shepherd that's going to cast somebody out that's been, that they can now see that was now blind. He's not the kind of shepherd that is holding on to these legalistic laws that are made up by men. He's one that's enabling us to experience the fullness of what it means to have a relationship with a heavenly father. He is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd, verse 14. And I know my own, and my own know me, just as the father knows me, and I know the father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And so the, he's not just a shepherd, but he is a good shepherd. He doesn't just give us life. He gives us an abundant life. He doesn't just care for us. He gives us life to the full. He knows us by name. It's an intimate relationship that he has with his sheep. And just as the father knows him and he knows the father, he knows us and we can know him. And so the relationship that the sheep have with the shepherd is one that is characterized by intimacy. In verses 12 through 13, it shows us that all of the other shepherds are, are, are ill-equipped and, and insufficient for the task of being the good shepherd. Only Jesus is the good shepherd. Everyone else is insufficient for the task. He is the only one that can do for the sheep what needs to be done. Jesus is more committed to you and to me than any other person that you know. Jesus has an intimate relationship with his followers. He is committed to them and cares about you more than anybody else that you know. And he establishes this point in verses 1 through 10. He establishes the point that I know my own and my own know me. His sheep know his voice. They listen to his voice. They follow his leading. Jesus knows who belongs to him. Just as the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father, so Jesus knows us and we know him. There is intimacy in our relationship. As we think about Jesus' role as our good shepherd, there's intimacy in our relationship. You see, being his sheep is more, is so much more than just knowing a bunch of facts about the shepherd. You can know a lot about somebody without knowing somebody. Does that make sense? 
And so if somebody knocks on my door tonight and they, they come to my door at 2 o'clock in the morning and I look out and I don't recognize them, I might not open that door. If it's one of my kids, they're going to come right in. And so Jesus recognizes. He knows us. We know him. And the relationship that we have with him enables us to enter in through that door. He is our good shepherd, and we're able to enter into that door. And our relationship with Jesus is just like his relationship with the Father, through the Father and the Son. And this is not something that we can offer up to him, you know, a few minutes a day. The intimacy of this relationship transcends more than a few minutes a day. This relationship is more than just coming to church on a Sunday and then, and then ignoring him and doing what we want the, the rest of the week. You know, Jesus as our door, Jesus as our good shepherd has an intimate relationship that is characterized and marked by time spent with, time spent with him, time spent in community with others. And so the intimacy of this relationship is not just something that we do on a pastime. You know, Christianity, having a relationship with Christ is not something that we, we bolt on, you know, to our, to our, to our life, to our lifestyle. In our spiritual gifts workshop, we talk about, you know, the importance of what this commitment looks like. And we use the analogy of chickens and pigs. And I think I've probably shared this in here before, but the analogy just works. You know, a, a chicken participates uh, in breakfast. He gives it an egg, but, but a pig is fully committed <laughs> as he gives his life with the bacon. And so we are not chicken Christians. We're pig Christians. We're, we're sheep that are in an intimate relationship. And that intimate relationship influences how we live our life. And it influences our lifestyle. Jesus says, I know my own and my own know me. I laid down my life for my sheep. That is intimacy. It's a relationship. It's not something that is a hobby or or casual. You know, loving God, loving others, you know, making disciples, baptizing, teaching, you know, those things don't happen by accident. You know, discipleship is an intentional activity that takes effort. You know, typically when somebody makes a faith commitment, they're, they're working through barriers. They make a faith commitment and they, they cross that line of faith. And, and many of you have made that decision. And, and when you do that, sometimes it, it puts you at odds with your friends. Maybe you have to find new friends because your friends don't understand what you've done. Sometimes you have to work through and navigate complexities in your families. You know, making a faith commitment is not something that we do as a halftime. It's not a part-time event, and, and sometimes there's some conflict that comes along with that. And then getting baptized. Getting baptized, I don't know anybody that has accidentally fall, fallen into a baptismal by accident. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Somebody might push you in the pool. <laughs> but when a person makes a decision to publicly confess their faith in Christ, it's an intentional act that takes effort. It does not just happen by accident. And, and, and I tell you, getting involved in a small group takes intentionality. Learning your spiritual gifts takes intentionality. Finding a place to serve and utilize your gift to build up the body of Christ takes intentionality. And you know, living missionally and investing in the lives of others takes intentionality. These things don't happen by accident. You know, it's, it's a result of an intimate relationship with a with a well, the God that loves us, that gave his son for us, and that intimacy and that relationship enables us to move through barriers and experience the fullness of what God has for us. It's the abundant life that Jesus speaks of. 
It's that in spite of all the fallenness, in spite of all the brokenness, no matter what's going on in my life, I have peace because of who I am in Christ. You know, I've had an opportunity to pray with many of you last week. I've been reading through our prayer requests. We've been going through this season. I tell you, there's, there's something about December that just stresses people out. You know, we are getting multiple calls from people in our community that are looking for help. They have questions about God. They're trying to navigate issues in their, in their lives. You know, our community feels the pressure of the holidays. They feel lonely. They feel isolated. Depression's in an all-time life. We have, to, we have to work through the suicide hotlines. I mean, there's so much pressure that happens around December, which is really a tragedy because the celebration of the birth of Jesus was so that we might have peace. Peace comes through knowing who we are in Christ. It doesn't come from understanding our identity in others. It doesn't come from gifts and presents and, and all the tinsel. It, it comes from understanding the reality of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. It comes from understanding that he is our good shepherd, that he is the door, and our security is rooted and found in him. Helping others to understand how to have a relationship with Christ and what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Growing in faith being equipped for ministry and living missionally, those things happen with intentionality. And Jesus, being a good shepherd, understands that it's not just about him doing for us, but about the sheep and their relationship with him. Jesus knows us and we know him. And so it's a a two-way relationship. It's not just that Jesus loves me and died on the cross for my sins and he's over there, but I've been called into a relationship with now that it's reciprocal. I know him. He knows me and I know him. And so the intimacy of that relationship necessitates that our lives be different. And it's a lifestyle that we're living out. You know, Jesus says that I am the, I am the door. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. He alone provides our salvation. As the door, the sheep are able to come in and go out. He keeps them safe. That safety is a salvation issue. Jesus, as the door, provides our, for our protection and for our provision. He knows what our needs are. He cares about us. He loves us. And, and he alone can provide everything that we need. He alone provides salvation, and he provides protection and provision. And then he's also the good shepherd. The good shepherd provides a relationship, a relationship with our Heavenly Father. You know, Jesus enables us. He gives us access. He's the one mediator between us and our Heavenly Father. He brings us into a relationship with our Heavenly Father because of our relationship with Him. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is about understanding that we serve a Savior, a Lord that loves us and cares for us, and we have a relationship with Him. That's what Christianity is. It's about having a relationship with Christ and understanding what that means for us as we think about our relationship with the Father and being empowered by the Holy Spirit as we live out our faith. Jesus says the good shepherd provides life. He provides an abundant life. He alone provides a relationship with the Father. He alone provides an abundant life now and for all eternity. Why would someone not want this? Why would somebody reject this? I look at this, and it just makes sense. And when you read through the Pharisees, the Pharisees, the Jewish people, they were once God's chosen people. 
they did not want this. They turned their back on a Messiah. And they, and, they, and they were more concerned about their own status and their own welfare, and they rejected Jesus. They were so focused on their legalistic rules. They were so far from God that they had been thrown now into the category of thieves and robbers. You know, John uh, ten sixteen. Jesus says to them after this, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. See, in Genesis chapter you know, 1 and 2, we see the creation account. We get to Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall. Sin enters into the world and our relationship with God is, is severed. And through a series of events that are going to occur, we're going to see that there's going to be a selection of, for Israel of God's chosen people, a Savior. Jesus would come to earth, and the Jews would view their national identity as God's chosen people. They would tie those two things together. And so by inclusion, you know, when Jesus is speaking here, he's speaking to those that are not Jewish. He's speaking about the Gentiles. The Jews have their identity and their national identity, and so the inclusion of the Gentiles as the other sheep came as a very unpleasant surprise you know, well, how come they're going to get in? You know, they were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting a Messiah. Not a little baby that was going to be born in a major that would come up to die a criminal's death. They were waiting for a Messiah, a Savior that was going to deliver them from the Gentiles, deliver them from the Gentile Romans, and establish a new kingdom for them, God's chosen people, the Jewish people. But that's not what happens. You know, uh, Jesus, who was merely proclaiming, Everything that had been spoken by by the prophets would be rejected. They did not understand what God's plan was for them. They did not understand that the the Gentiles were going to be grafted in here. And God's chosen people, rather than than through a, a national identity, God's chosen people, rather than being a result of a national identity, would be defined by who has a relationship with Jesus. People that have a relationship with Jesus are now God's chosen people. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I'm going to bring them also. They're going to listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. And so I know that this plays itself out in different forms of theology. But, but, but with regard to being God's chosen people, we are grafted in now. God's chosen people are those that have a relationship with Christ. There's one flock and there's one shepherd and Jesus is over them both. And so we serve a, a living God that is our, that is our shepherd. He is our, he, is, he is our door. And we are now included in that number with those that are part of God's chosen people. Praise God for that because I can't trace my Jewish roots. And so I've been grafted in. And so God's message now through the, through the apostles and through the teaching and, and through Jesus' message now, we are now a part of that God's chosen people. And so we don't have to be Jewish. We don't have to keep the 613 laws. We don't have to, have to, have to do anything. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith in Christ, not by works, so that no one can boast. And we have been grafted in, and and we are part of God's chosen people now as a result of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. Is it no wonder that this baby in the manger, 33 years later, would be led to a criminal's death because of what he had done to upset the Jewish leaders? He'd upset that whole system. 
And so they were disgruntled with him the whole time. They reviled him the whole time. They accused him of being filled with, with a demon. They rejected him, rejected him, and ultimately it would lead to his death. All because of his claims to be God. Because of his claims to be the door. This is the door. What you guys are doing is not the door. You guys are false teachers, you're robbers, you're thieves. This is the door. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. You guys are, are worthless. You just cast out a man that was blind. You didn't, you didn't even celebrate that with him. And so Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. And he makes some claims about himself that would ultimately lead to his death. That's the baby in the manger that would grow up. In John 1, 12, but to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor any of this other stuff that the Pharisees were heaping on people, but by the will of God. And so we are children of God when we believe in his name. God loves everybody. God loves everybody, but we are not all his children. God loves everybody, but those who, re- who believe in his name, those who received him, he gives the right to be called children of God. And so God is a, is a door. It's an, exclusive, it's an exclusive claim. But the good news is that, that anybody can cash in on the promise. And so when I'm, when, no, and I'm sure you've had these conversations. Maybe you're watching online this morning or maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I'm not sure I like the exclusivity of the claims of Jesus. Well, Jesus is the door. And the good news is that if you believe that, if you believe in him, if you place your faith in him and you receive him, you get to come in. And so I don't understand why people are on the outside complaining about the door and that's the only way to get in, but they won't walk through it. There's no reason to reject that cornerstone. There's no reason to reject the good shepherd. There's no reason to reject that door. You know, by the time you get to the end of our passage that we're looking at this morning, there's a division among the Jews. They're arguing with one another. There's a division among the Jews because of these words, and many of them said, he has a demon. He is insane. Who's going to believe him? Who's going to listen to him? But others, others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can the demon open the eyes of the blind? And so in the midst of this discussion, there are those that would question, that would ultimately place their faith in Christ. You know, the the first people that became Christ followers, the the first people to follow Jesus were the Jews. You know, there was a, was a a small number of Jews that understood who Jesus was. At the beginning, there was 120 people. Think about the world population. There was 120 Jews that believed and placed their faith in Christ. And the number grew to 3,000. And then the Gentiles start coming in. And, and we have today what is, what is the roots of what happened 2,000 years ago. You know, some believe and some don't. And so the question for you this morning is who do you say that Jesus is? As we move towards Christmas and we're celebrating the birth of Christ, each one of us must come to a decision about what we believe about Jesus. Is he the door? Is he your good shepherd? And each one of us must make that decision. We, nobody can make that decision for you. And so this morning, if you have questions about our relationship with Christ, we would love the opportunity to talk with you about it. If you want to experience more of the abundant life that Jesus promises as our good shepherd, would love the opportunity to help you take those next steps. But each of these I am statements, as we move through this series, as we move through John, 
gives us just a, a glimpse of what it means to understand what it means to have a Savior that loves us, that, that cares for us, and wants to provide for us. So it's my prayer that as we move through this series that each of us would draw closer to Christ, that the reason for this celebration that we're celebrating this Christmas would become more meaningful for us, and that God would complete the work that he has set in motion for us as we seek to live out lives that are glorifying and pleasing to him. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. I thank you that this little baby in the manger that we're celebrating is, is the door for us to have a, a full, abundant life, a relationship with you. I thank you for the security that comes from knowing what Christ accomplished for on the cross. So I thank you that he is our door. I thank you that he is our, our good shepherd, that he's involved intimately in the details of our life, that he gave his life for us so that we might have a relationship with him. I just thank you for your provision that we, and for all the ways uh, that you are continuing to work in our lives despite the brokenness that we're surrounded by. I pray as we move through this Christmas season, God, that you would draw each of us closer to you. We look forward to all that you have for us. We commit our day to you. We commit this remainder of this year to you. All for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we continue to worship this morning.
all the praise and honor and glory to you. God, we are so thankful for what your son did on the cross. God, for sending your one and only son here in the most humblest of way. God, we just echo what we just sang. Jesus, you're all that we need. God, just continue to knock on that door. Continue to remind us that we can make you a part of every single moment of our lives, whether that be from the mountaintop or in the valley while we go through the hardest of trials. We just thank you this morning. We are so blessed, unbelievably blessed. For all these things in your name. Amen. Let's go in peace. Thank you.